I want you to turn with me to the oldest book in the Bible. Now, some of y'all are going to turn to Genesis and say, that's the oldest book, right? Because that tells us about the creation of all things. Well, actually, that's not the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. In fact, so just find Psalms right there smack in the middle of your Bibles oftentimes. Find the Psalms and turn left. And there's Job right there. And it's an important lesson that this whole story of Job is for us today. Now, we won't cover all 42 chapters, praise the Lord. Uh, we'll just cover one and a half, okay? In chapter 36 and 37. So as you're turning there, we're turning there because Job is going to teach us that God is an awesome God. And do you believe that this morning? Do you believe God? We've been singing and celebrating that uh, He's high, there's none higher, there's none greater than our God. But do we live like that each and every day of the week? Does your life of faith, is it a testimony to others around you that you believe God is awesome? You know, last, gener last century, uh, someone wrote a book. His name was J.B. Phillips. And he wrote a book about, to a Christian generation, frankly, that didn't think God was awesome. Uh, there were some who, who, who didn't have a proper understanding of how awesome God is. And he wrote the book entitled, Your God is Too Small. And, and he wrote it to those who thought they could put God in a box and figure him out. And, and, and see, when our misunderstanding of God, when we misunderstand who he is, when we don't listen to who he is as he says in his word, your life is affected by that. You and I don't live as we ought. Tozer says when we entertain low thoughts about God, we live on a lower plane. When we entertain high thoughts about who God is and what he's like, we live on a higher plane. And so, what higher plane is there than God is awesome? There's none higher than him. We, we need to embrace this understanding of just how awesome our God is. How immense he is. There's none like him. In fact, all throughout Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, you see reference time and again. God is called the great and awesome God. Moses records that in Deuteronomy. And Nehemiah records it as well. God is called awesome in His majesty. That's going to be in this chapter, as we'll find in just a moment, in verse 22. He's awesome in His holiness. There's none like Him in His purity. He, he's awesome as he dwells in his sanctuary. In fact, the psalmist would say, God is more awesome than all who surround him. One day, our eyes will behold just how awesome he is when we gather in his presence there in heaven and see the awesomeness of his glory. But what makes him so awesome? That term that we use, we use that term awesome in a way to describe people, to describe events and and even desserts. You see, when I was growing up, from one of the movies I, I remember in our generation, these two dudes said, man, they'd say this all the time, man, that's awesome, dude. Totally gnarly, right? Some of y'all remember that. We're not talking about some awesome wave to surf or some awesome car to drive. There's nothing, there's no one that comes anywhere close to our God and His awesomeness. We have used that term in such a common way that we really don't understand the significance of what it means for something to be awesome. We think it's something that's marvelous, something that's incredible, something that's amazing, wondrous. And yet the root of that word, when you study it in the Bible, it comes from the Hebrew term which is used, yare, which has to do with being afraid, having fear. 
you know, when you're afraid of something, you stand back, right? You're like, whoa, that's awesome. Well, there's nothing like our God that's awesome that should cause you and I to step back like that. When we really fear and reverence God, we recognize how awesome He is and we revere Him. You know, in the Psalms, in Psalm 47 too, if you have a particular translation, they used to, they, the translator wrote, the Lord Most High is terrible. Now, the connotation of that world, do you really think God is terrible today? I don't. I think he's gracious and good. But when they used that term terrible, it used to be used to mean to be fearful, to be afraid of him. And, and, and when you recognize what, what God's people experienced down around Mount Sinai, when they came to, together with Moses, led them there, and they came to that mountain, and there was lightning and, and thunder, and, and they were terrified, right? Because they realized God is awesome. And so depending on the connotation of that word there, you may say, yeah, he is terrible, or no, he's not. But can we agree he's awesome? There is none like him. When we say that God is awesome, what we're saying in his person, his essence, who he is, and all of his activity, because of who he is and because of what he does, he inspires wonder or awe in the hearts of those who see him for who he is. And as a result of that, there's fear that follows so much so that we acknowledge there's none alone. There's none who is worthy of worship but him and him alone. When, when we're saying God is awesome, essentially we're saying we're taking a step back and we're revering him. And we're recognizing his lofty status and that there is none like him. And what we do properly is then submit in humility and in fear. And your life and my life is supposed to demonstrate that if we have this understanding that God is awesome. You see, when I contemplate the essence of God, as we've been doing all year, walking through these attributes and seeing God as he reveals himself to us and tells us who he is, not who we put him in the box to be. God holy, God sovereign, God incomprehensible, God infinite, God righteous, God merciful, God gracious, God who is loving, God who is jealous, God who is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. We go on and on and on. Who is like our God? There is none. And if you have actually been capturing an understanding of who he is, then there has to be this point where you just step back and you say, he's awesome. And I need to revere him. And I need to fear him. And your life follows in a particular manner. I mean, just stop and think for a moment. What was it that God's people were to teach their children and their grandchildren? Not just to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also to fear Him, to reverence Him. We're to be loving God-fearers who recognize God and stand in awe of Him. His name is a glorious and an awesome name. The psalmist says in Psalm 99.3, which brings us to Job. You see, Job was one who had to be taught a lesson and had to be instructed about the essence of God and what God was up to. Because Job was going through a situation in life, and maybe some of us are going through similar situations, where you lose sight of who God is. You lose sight of what God is able to do. And you go through a season of life, perhaps this morning, and it's, particularly, it's not particularly pleasant. 
And you realize, you know what, this is like the, the fever heat of summer that's just sucking the life right out of me. Or maybe it's the cold, harsh, callous winter that just drives you to, to do nothing and to hide in your lair. You see, Job teaches us, actually one of his friends who speaks to him and reminds him, God is an awesome God. And here's the amazing thing. That awesome God is in control of every season of life. So let's stand this morning. Hopefully you found Job 37. And we're going to hear God speak. And we're going to hear what God's word has to say to us. So that we can understand how we navigate the seasons of life. And learn like Job. Just how awesome our God is. I'm in chapter 37. And I want us to back up. Just as a running start here. We're going to back up to 36 and chapter 36 and verse 24. Because this is when Elihu begins to speak and, and dis discloses to Job this wonderful truth. Remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. We've sung about how awesome God is today. Remember, magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. Behold, God is great. And we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds, the thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it, and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the peoples, he gives food in abundance, he Covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it. The cattle also concerning the rising storm. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 37. At this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. And that's our prayer today. God speak to my heart. God speak to my heart and help us to see you. As you truly are, a God who is awesome beyond comprehension. A God who is awesome in not only your essence, but God, what you are doing, your work. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters before me this morning. Lord, some who are going through hardships and difficulties and trials of life. God, today I pray your spirit would speak to them. And they would see and realize that there is an awesome God who is in control of whatever season of life I find myself in today. And Lord, I pray you grant them faith to trust you, to take you at your word, and to follow you in faith and experience your goodness and your grace. And Jesus, we ask these things in your name because you're the one who makes that possible because of your sacrifice at Calvary. We ask this all as God's people in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Who is like our God? The psalmist asks us in Psalm 113.5. There is none like him. And yet, when you and I navigate life, it may be that we find ourselves in circumstances, in trials, where we forget who God is and what He is like. You see, based on who God is, His essence, you will either wonder about Him or perhaps wander from Him. Wonder about who He is, stand in awe, there's no God like Him, and I need to know Him. 
or wander far from him because you don't have a proper understanding of who God is and what he's like. And it depends on our vision, our understanding of who we believe God is. And as Job is speaking, actually it's Elihu speaking to Job. Elihu says, listen, God is great. He's awesome. There is none like him. And yet we do not know him. We do not fully understand him. Which is why God has has to reveal himself to us. Job, who was blameless, he was upright, he was a man who feared God. And he lost everything. He lost his ten children. He he lost his health. He lost all his financial uh, finances. Everything was wiped out. Why? Why did that happen to Job? He didn't know, did he? He he didn't know why that happened. And and something was going on, not just in that circumstance, something was going on in in the scene behind it. And we're privy to look into that. That's why I'm grateful this is really probably the first book in the Bible. What a lesson to learn. That things aren't always as they seem going on around you. There's something else going on too. There's a cosmic battle going on right now that you and I cannot necessarily see. The forces of evil fighting against a good and gracious God who want to destroy anything made in His image or anything that will bring glory and honor to Him. Job didn't know that. But God did, amen? In fact, some of you have circumstances and situations in life, and you don't know what's going on. But may I just remind you, God knows. And he's in complete control of it. Job had three wonderful friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And those three wonderful friends came to, to minister to their buddy and to help him in his despondency. When they came upon him, they hardly recognized him as Job was there. And they came to comfort him. And that's important to have friends in life. Better is a friend who's near than a brother who's far away. But these friends came and their problem was they didn't have a right understanding of who God was. They didn't understand him correctly. In fact, some of the counsel that they gave him really wasn't consistent with with the nature of who God is. And so in the midst of that, Uh, And that's always a concern you should have whenever you get counsel from anyone. Make sure that they're bringing you counsel about the true God. Counsel about God's ways. And that will be found in the word of God. That's a good friend. But then another friend, Elihu, comes. And he gives Job this counsel that we read today. And here's what Elihu says. Job, God is an awesome God. And he's in control of everything that's happening in life. He's in control of all the seasons of life. And Elihu tells Job... Job, not only is God in control, but you should reverence him. You should fear him. You should stand back and stand in awe of what God is doing. In fact, Elihu says, God wants to have a conversation with you. He's on his way. He's going to have a conversation with you. And when he does speak, you need to listen. And again, students, listen. That's a good friend who will tell you, listen to what God has to say. Not your peers, not the culture. Listen to what God has to say in his word. And so Elihu speaks to Job and he says, listen, Job, listen, there's a message right now that's being communicated. There in verse 30, chapter 36, verse 24 and 25, he reminds him, listen, magnify God's work of which men sing about because everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. What's he talking about? When you and I look out here in creation, there is a natural revelation. There is a general revelation that is being communicated that declares God is an awesome God. 
over in Psalm 19, the psalmist would say, that the heavens are declaring what? The glory of God. God's awesome glory is on display before us. Are you listening to that message? Paul would say over in Romans chapter 1 that all of creation is speaking. But men suppress that knowledge. They suppress that truth that comes to them. Because that creation speaks and it says there is a powerful God. A divine Godhead that's out there. Now listen, if, if, if we embrace that and look at that, then that God has a word to speak to us. And yet, But if we don't reverence the light that he gives us, then does he owe us any more light? All of creation is speaking. In fact, right now, Elihu is going to speak to Job and say, Listen, I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you a little illustration that testifies how God speaks and how He is at work. And a choice you have to make, no matter what the season is, how you will respond to that season you're going through in life. He's going to do it using the water cycle. He's going to talk about how, you know, that, you know we learned that in, in earth science, right? The water cycle, how the rain evaporates and then it, it, it condenses and then there's precipitation. Throwing a little electricity, the lightning, right? And, and, and the whole process goes. That, that's all how God designed it. The creator designed it. And, and, and Elihu says, this is it. God draws up the drops of water and he distills it as rain from the midst, the clouds. They, they drop down and they pour abundantly on man. But even that, does anyone understand it? Can, can anyone really understand the, the spreading of all the clouds, the thunder that, that, that from, from, from his canopy? I mean, I know the meteorologists think they know what's happening, but let's be honest. Come on. Amen. They don't have a clue. By the way, um, we're supposed to be in Martin Luther King Park tonight at 6 o'clock for our worship service, depending on the weather, amen, which originally they said was 20% chance of rain. They changed it today, depending on your app, to either 50% or 70%. So uh, we'll make an announcement at 3 o'clock by uh, Realm and, and on the, uh, an email blast just to let you know whether we'll be there or here, depending on the weather. But no one knows. Let's be honest. I, I mean, I... I get frustrated sometimes. We need some rain. And you watch those clouds coming up over, over, from, over from, you know, Lenore and Hickory and coming that way across. You say, man, we're going to get some rain. And then all of a sudden it just kind of goes like this around Statesville. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who knows? Who can explain it? No one knows. And Elihu says, Job, listen, just as that happens and, and God is at work in that, we don't understand it. We don't always comprehend it. And Elihu is speaking and he's telling him this. And he's saying, you need to realize this. And there's seasons in life. Those storms come up in the fall after that hot, hot summer. Those storms come on the horizon. And they are so looking forward to those replenishing rains, clouds that come in, in the fall. And, and, and this comes and God is, is there in the midst of it. He, he scatters it with light about it. The, the thunder and the lightning. And, and he covers up. The rain falls and it covers the land. And, and, and God does it sovereignly. He makes the choices where that rain will fall. Sometimes that rain falls in so much abundance that it's a judgment of God, a flood, right? Sometimes it falls in such a way that it, it nourishes the ground. It saturates the ground so that the, the farmers can bring forth the crops and, and the seed can grow and, and bring forth food for us to eat. God does that, he says. And, 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 and 
That's what he says. By this, God can judge people, verse 31, or, or give food in abundance. And yet it's his hands that are at work in those clouds. Can you look up and see and believe? Now see, that's just nature. But what about the seasons of life when we go through it? Job's saying, listen, understand this. When that thunder, when that thunder booms, right? The lightning crackles. Your ears are shattered for a moment there. It's like some of those good thunder poppers, right? When those happen. Do you, do you ever go out on the, on the porch? I know we don't do that anymore because we're so cocooning inside. But um, just, I love to go and sit out on the, on the porch on, on a rocker and just sit there and rock and just listen to the rain. And watch the lightning flicker and flash and then hear the crackle and hear the boom. And I just remind myself, God's speaking. God's speaking. And see, that's what life is like sometimes when those storms come. The storms come and it drops rain. And it's, it's a reminder, do I, do, does my heart tremble at the thought God is sovereign over this storm right now. And the effect that it has on the earth beneath it. Because when that rain falls, it always accomplishes God's purpose. Sovereignly guiding that. Saturating, nourishing the earth. And the rain falls where he wants it. An amazing thing Jesus would say over in Matthew 5. You know the rain falls on the just and the unjust. God's good rain for the good creation. Listen, to sustain it, to preserve it. And, and, and to sustain those made in his image with food. All that good rain that falls. It's on the just and the unjust. God's intention is that we look to him and realize he's the good God, the good provider, the one who supplies what we have need of. But do I hear him speak when that thunder sounds? Am I tuning my ear and realizing that God, as Job, Eli who says to Job here in verse 2, hear attentively the thunder of his voice, the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Listen, when, when, when we open this book, does it thunder to you? Does it thunder in your heart? God has spoken. You know, Bible says over in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 66, do you know who God will look to? Who God will look upon? Those who, listen, those who are broken and contrite in spirit and who tremble at his word when God speaks. Your disposition, my disposition, if we really believe God is awesome, we step back and we hear him speak. Just imagine yourself there at Mount Sinai as Moses goes up on the mountain. There's thunder, there's lightning, and, and the people are all like, Moses, do you mind going up there for us? And find out what he has to say? Do, do I come and hear God speak like that? Because when he speaks, it's like thunder. Verse, verse 4, his voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He doesn't restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great, awesome things which we cannot comprehend. I mean, do you stand in awe when you read this word about what it says God is able to do? I mean, the, the, the men just sang about a woman who had heard about this Messiah who had the power to heal. Doctors couldn't heal her for 12 years. She believed, if I can only touch the hem of his garment and be made well. Do you believe that? When you hear him speak, does your heart long to hear the voice, the power of God? Because he speaks. In that season of fall, when those rains come, Elihu says, listen, God's going to speak. In fact, 
just look, we're not there yet, I'm not going to go there, but look over in chapter 38. God is going to speak, verse 1, in the whirlwind that's coming. You just imagine there's a cloud that's coming on the horizon, and Elihu's saying, God's going to speak, thunder is going to sound forth from his voice, and he's coming to speak to you. Are you ready to hear what God's going to say? Now that's chapter 38 all the way down through 41 and 42, and, and God has 64 questions for, uh, for Job that he needs to be able to answer. And Job's going to, we'll find out in a minute what happens when he hears God speak. You know what's amazing? After fall, there's the season of winter. And what happens with all those clouds that have all that rain? God kind of changes the way that rain falls now. It doesn't fall as nice water. It falls as snow and sleet and ice. And don't you just love it? Amen. I grew up as a kid playing in the snow. Man, I love winter. I love the beauty of it. That snow, as, as, as Elihu says, God says to the snow, verse 6, fall on the earth, likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. He seals the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. The beasts go into their dens and remain in their lairs. From the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind, the cold from the scattering winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given and the broad waters are frozen. I mean, everybody knows if, you, if you've ever been up north what, what the winters can be like. Man, I'm telling you, when, that, when, when they say it's going to snow, and that, that snow is actually um, the sleet and the, the pelting ice, right? And, 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 and man, you can't even, when the wind is just driving, you don't want to be outside in it, right? Because it just it pelts your face and you're like, I want to go inside after a while, right? That's the picture. God, just as that rain falls in the fall, when it falls in the winter, it's ice, it's snow. And God, again, determines where it falls. I want 44 inches right here. Amen? And a blizzard. And what happens then? You remember Buffalo? They got all that snow, all that ice, all that. What happened? Nobody went anywhere. It just stops everything. Life stops. Even the animals experience it. They go into their dens. They go into their lairs. All the creation's affected by it. There's seasons of life where it just freezes up. It's blustery, cold, piercing winds. I just love sometimes those piercing winds go right through every four, five, six layers you got on, right? And you feel the effect of it. Sometimes that's like life. There's seasons where... That happens. Everything freezes over. Suddenly everything stops. There's no movement. There's no nothing. What do you do? What do you do when that's your life? Well, Elihu says, remember, God's still in control. He's sovereign. He's determining where that snow falls. He's the one who brings that, that chilling wind. He brings that cutting wind. God is at work. He's still working out his glorious purposes. Do you choose to believe that or not? Some of y'all right now have been through that cold, dark gray seasons of life, right? Like the harsh winter. And you've been there and you have to make a choice. Is God still sovereign and in control? And will I surrender and submit to him? It's not always easy. And yet Elihu's word to Job and his word to us is, remember an awesome God is in control. The seasons of fall, the season of winter, even the seasons of spring. Notice what he says in verse 11. Also with moisture, he saturates thick clouds and scatters his bright clouds. And they swirl about being turned by his guidance that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. 
Praise God, winter's over and spring comes and it springs out. Praise the Lord, it's a beautiful time. And all the April showers come at that time, amen? And the picture, Job's, Elihu says to Job, listen, God loads up the clouds again with, with more rain for, for all of creation. And, and, and he sends them forth to, to care for his creation. In fact, he causes that rain, notice this in verse 13, he causes it to come whether for correction or for his land or for mercy. That that rain falls, sometimes it comes for correction, too much of it in one place to get people's attention that he's sovereign and in control. Sometimes it comes, it says at the end of that verse, for mercy, God supplying, graciously providing for the creation. And in the middle, is, it comes for his land. We don't always understand why God sends the rain the way he does. But he has a plan that he is about. And he sends that. And it's just like the trials of life that we experience. Here's the question. Listen, as a child of God, are you willing to believe that in the seasons of life, I'm in the palm of his hand, and whatever cloud, whatever season it is, whatever, whether it's driving rain or snow or just a refreshing period of time when the rains come, am I willing to believe that those are all sifted by his fingers and he's in absolute control of them or not? That's where you're at today, some of you. Will I choose to believe that or not? And will I find rest in him, trusting in him? Elihu's saying that's the God who's in control of everything. He, he, he allows this for, to come sometimes for judgment, sometimes for mercy, sometimes in caring for his land. But these storms that can bless us or blast us, they're all in his hands. He's all in control of that. Some people are saying, Pastor, I still don't know why such and such is happening in my life. Job was in the same boat. He didn't have a clue. He's trying to figure it out. His friends are trying to give him counsel. Oh, here's what it is. By the way, repent, Job. Get right. You've done something wrong. No, I haven't. But when we don't have an answer, is it enough for you and me to know an awesome God is still in control? Winter leads to spring. Spring leads to summer. And that's where verse 14 really causes our attention to, to focus. Listen, listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know where when God dispatches them, those clouds, and causes the light of his cloud to, to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced, these wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Why are your garments hot when he quiets the earth by the south wind. With him, have you spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror? You see, this is the picture of summer. You know, when, when, when your garments get hot, why? Because you're out there in this 98-degree 98 weather, and you're like, I need to find some shade. They're in, the, in the they're in the wilderness, they're in the, in the Middle East, when, when it feels like there's a brazen, a brass mirror in the sky that just the heat comes off of it, right? He's talking about the summer, and, and yet he's asking him again, why, why has this happened? Can you stand still and just consider for a moment, when God sends these storms and, and these periods of life, when it's draining the energy, just sucking the life out of you, and it's scorching you, are you willing to acknowledge God is sovereign? We see his work, but we do not understand it. We don't understand it. With finite minds, we're trying to understand how these clouds even hang in the sky. This past week, just sitting on the, on the, on the, on the porch there on, up in the mountains and just looking out and watching the mountains just come over the, the or the clouds come over the mountains and, and just marveling, meditating on this and just thinking about 
what, what Elihu was pointing Job to. How those clouds, whether they're the cumulonimbus, the cotton, cotton clouds, I like to call them, right? Those, those big puffy clouds. And, and at first they're just beautiful. And then you just see them growing and getting bigger and bigger. And then you realize that the bottoms are turning black, right? And it's about to fall. The little cirrus wispy clouds way up there, the stratus clouds that just cover the earth. All, all those clouds, God hangs them there. Now here's the amazing thing. God, we don't understand. We try to understand. But, but would we stand still and just consider the awesome, wondrous works of God? Are you willing to do that? Here's the amazing thing. No matter what the season is, what the cloud holds, whether it's rain, whether it's the possibility of rain, whether it's snow or ice. Listen, here's the amazing thing. When those clouds cloud our life, here's one thing that's consistent in all of them. The sun's still shining. Amen. The sun is still shining behind them. And God is in control of them. And I need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded of that today. We see his work, but we don't understand it. We try to understand it, but this is the one consistent thing. There is a God who is in control. And that's why he says, he closes, teach us, verse 19, what we should say to him. For we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be told, I wish to speak. If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. I mean, can we really argue with God? Can we really say, I don't like this season I'm going through? Can we? No. We don't have that prerogative. If he's awesome, we stand back in awe at who it is and what he's up to. And the best thing to do is to stop and think for a moment. Who are we that even takes thought of us? Who are we that he loved us and sent his son to die for us? Who are we that he would send his son to hang on a cross and suffer our penalty for us? In fact, that's a demonstration, frankly, that he loves you and loves me with an everlasting love. No matter what you're going through right now in life, God's in control of it. And you're in the hands of a loving God. Let that truth saturate your mind. Job wanted to talk to God. I got a thing or two to say to him. Elihu's like, what are you thinking? You can't do that. Even now, verse 21, men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared them. His picture is, listen, just imagine the cloud is full of skies and the wind comes and goes and blows them all the way. And what's there? The bright sun. And you can't look at that sun and fix your eyes on it and keep staring at it. It's the same way with God. Like you're going to look at God up there and say, let me tell you something, beloved. In his glory, his awesome glory, no one can look upon him and say to him, well, this is what I think. None of us can. If we really know him as he is, we find our proper place before him and we see him. God is going to come and speak to Job. As for the Almighty, we can't find him. He's excellent in power, in judgment, in abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men who know these things do what? They fear him. Why? Because verse 22, with God is awesome majesty. You see, step back, y'all. Before you want to speak really quickly and give your opinion, step back. Realize God is God and you're not. And neither am I. And it's healthy for us to acknowledge that. It's healthy for us to find our proper place at his footstool, acknowledging who he is and crying out for mercy. And praise God he gives it. Amen.
Job wanted to say something to God. You may be there today. In fact, God's now here. That's chapter 38. The Lord now answers Job out of the whirlwind. Just imagine, here's God. And God's going to speak to Job. He's actually going to ask Job a whole series of questions to which Job will have no answer. To which Job can't respond. To which Job just at some point just has to beat his chest and say, put his hand on his mouth and say, he's God and I'm not. That's a healthy place today if you've never, ever gotten there to be there. It's good and it's okay. It's okay to wrestle with life. Life's tough. But here's the thing. With our God, you don't have to wrestle with him about life. You can rest in him. You can trust him. You can know an awesome God is in control of whatever you're experiencing. Whether you've experienced grief, you need healing, whether you've lost everything. Job did. And you know the amazing thing at the end? Job got it all back. God restored and, and, and gave him children and gave him uh, abundance of wealth. God blessed him. What a wonderful story. What an important story to learn. To reverence God even when clouds hang over your, your life. Remember that when Jesus hung on that cross, there were clouds that covered the sun. It got dark because he took the judgment for you and me that we deserve. And in that moment, paid the penalty our sin deserved. And God demonstrated just how much he loves you and me. And what he wants you and I to do is tremble. Step back and say, you're God and I need you. Have you done that?